understand. Today's topic is really a fun topic and it's you know the beginning of 2023 and we thought that we would talk about four trends that we think are going to be very interesting to follow. The four trends that we're going to talk about today, one is the trends of the super apps and we've actually spoken a bit about this in our previous episode when Nilesh talks about how Elon Musk is actually looking at creating a super app called X and all of us can guess why it's called X. So there's the first trend that we're going to talk about is the trend of super apps. The second one is a trend that we think is all about the economics behind technology and that really is business models come a full circle. Of course there are this trend has been called various things in media it is things like new business models new ways of working etc cetera, etc cetera. we just think it's a trend which is business models come a full circle the third trend we're going to talk about which i think samiran is extremely happy having a point of view on is called immortality powered by tech and the last one which is something that we are really interested in are invested in and we believe is the future of technology as part of the whole sustainable tech piece we're going to cover virtual power plants i'm going to hand over to nilesh to kind of talk us through the first trend which is the trend of super apps so super app is a trend that has been uh, you know listed by a, a few trends that we actually followed uh, and uh, we thought it was a interesting bit to talk about for multiple reasons so so let me first start with whether super app is a trend to watch out for answer is yes honestly i will give my uh, personal contrarian view on it but uh, super app is a trend primarily because it makes economic sense i mean when any organization whether it's your uh, you know google of the world you know facebooks you want the consumer in your network and you don't want to let the person go out so what do you do you create a super app whereby if you had uh, bought some couple of companies you actually ensure that the person just remains within that network whether it is right from if i take a shopping experience it's basically discovery retail payment rewards so you know the the whole life cycle should remain within your network and recommendations honestly right so so it's it's the whole circle of of retail so super apps is a trend to watch out for uh, many people are talking about it uh, elon musk has like uh, sheetal mentioned in the introduction elon musk mentioned something like a super app called x so it is happening uh, closer to home i mean uh, it has been some time back but you know tata launched something called tata new and you know kind of weaved all their properties into a single app time will tell whether how well it does or not but the fact is this is something most of the companies are talking about and trying to achieve now the contrarian view that i have on this is that you know for me somehow super app does not make a lot of sense the reason being that each 
company and each uh, segment of let's say retail journey has its own user experience and there are companies which understand it better than the others right so like let me take a simple example google used to have a, you know a chat capability long for a very very long time it has been called various different things it was available just within your you know the uh, mailing window but it never took off right while whatsapp was sold for 19 billion to facebook it has always been there but never took off so google could never figure out what to do with it right so there have been companies who are good at certain things and then somehow they don't get some other things right uh, they do go ahead and buy such companies. So Google bought YouTube, but YouTube has been YouTube, right? So do you really want to really tie everything into a one single super app? Maybe, maybe not. My view is it has not been successful thus far, but this is a trend people are talking about super apps and how businesses would like to, you know, capture the imagination of their consumers. So Nish, I thought, you know, one of the things... I kind of thought is the difference that, you know, if you think about super apps versus platforms, so in that, you know, Amazon was always built as a platform and uh, whatever, Tencent and all of you, and then they keep on adding new things and, you know, obviously they keep the customer together. Super apps, like you rightly said, almost seems to be like an afterthought, which means, you know, you have a whole bunch of disparate things. Now you suddenly figured that, you know, I want to stitch it together and make it whole and anything that you kind of put together is going to be difficult to do. So while I completely buy into the logic of keeping locking in the customer and taking them from, you know, payments to loans to this, and then maybe to buy your groceries or whatever. But if they were never together, I mean, I don't know how that thing works homogeneously unless it was built ground up to do that. And like you mentioned, I'm sure Tata New will kind of fix all of this in somewhere in the future. But today, it is kind of quite traumatic to try and do anything on it. So, you know, because they're bringing together apps that never worked together before. So, while the logic appeals, I'm not sure whether it was, you know, how they're going to hang it all together. My only point of view on the whole super apps is that I don't think that, and the reason why I think super apps have a long way to go is simply because when a particular app was launched, it was addressing a key problem of the consumer, right? So when Uber happens, it happens because it is solving a problem of the consumer. And therefore, it has a role in the life of the consumer to play. A super app, which is now a house of apps, if I may call it like a house of brands, becomes challenging because what is the role of the super app in the life of the consumer? Every app has a role, but does the house of apps have a role in my life to play? Maybe not. And I think of this, and if I draw parallels, for example, you have a Unilever, which is a house of brands, and it works because it is a house of brands. I may use one thing from the stable of Unilever, but I may not use another thing from the stable of universe. And now think about it. If Unilever came and said that, oh, here's Unilever and everything is available, you can't retain me just because of that, because I may not be having the tea that you give me because I love somebody else's tea. And therefore, my use of that particular app really starts to become a problem. And I think, Samiran, the challenge that Tata New has is exactly that. You and I may be fans of, let's say, Vistara and Indian hotels, but you may never be buying another Tata product. Or you may be buying, mm. you know, you may be a person who's going into big basket, 
but not having anything to do with Tata Motors. Now, trying to put everything under this whole construct called a super app, and I honestly understood it as a house of apps more than anything else. So correct me if, if you guys think I got it wrong, but it seemed like that to me. So the house of apps reminds me of like a house of cards. It's just going to collapse, I think. And that's my sense because it has no role to play in the consumer's life. That's it. True, true, And therefore, while it's a trend to watch out for, I want to see what the world does with it. Just to be maybe proven wrong that maybe there is a role for a super app in the life of the consumer. I would love to be proven wrong on this one. So, I mean, ultimately, you know, all of this that happens, you know, people are... uh, it's it's about business, it's about eyeballs, it's about revenue growth. And, you know, for the last few years, we've been kind of going crazy with this whole thing about valuations and, you know, things doubling, tripling, quadrupling. And, you know, 10x is the new normal. You know, you can't just grow in percentage terms. Unless you're 10x, nobody will talk to you. And, you know, come 2022 and this whole thing around layoffs, suddenly we have discovered the latest mantra in survival, you know, and lo and behold, it is our age old thing that we knew revenue minus cost is equal to profit. So when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about this new old mantra of business that has been rediscovered. So Samiran uh, gave you a sneak peek of the next trend, right? Uh, which is the new old model of doing business. And I completely agree with him. But it has been cited as one of the trends, which is uh, they don't really call it the way we have called it. But they call it that, you know, how fintechs are discovering new business models. We find it that these are actually the old ones. Let me take a simple example. So uh, let's look at uh, one of the fintechs, uh, Klarna, right? Uh, This fintech grew to almost 40 plus billion in valuation, a crazy amount of valuation, a very pure play BNPL fintech, right? So buy now, pay later. And if you have been listening to us, we talked about it in our previous seasons. We thought it was a, you know, not a model, uh, sustainable model, buy now, pay later. And uh, that is what is happening to Klarna now. This this company lost almost 85% of their valuation because BNPL has fallen out of favor. And Klarna is now looking at other business models. Luckily for them, uh, I think they did raise money even at a lower valuation, but they have enough money to now pursue some other business models which have more longevity so what are we talking about so we are talking about the good old you know valuation principles whereby you you don't go by you know number of consumers or or the dream but you actually go by pure play revenues uh, profits and what is your outlook for next 5 to 10 years and then you do valuation and and now uh, i think that rigor is coming back into business and that is leading to all the companies and primarily the fintechs especially to figure out ways kind of uh, coming in line with this new requirement of the market or of the investment funds. And one of the things uh, that we'll see as a trend is that uh, enterprise services will gain popularity. And again, if you have been following us in our previous seasons, we love B2B businesses, right? These are real hard businesses. You have to do the hard work and you end up making money. So enterprise, fintechs, you know, as I said, this may not be the sexy part of uh, valuation. You always want to show how many consumers you have, the B2C businesses have, you know, it's a make or break kind of stuff. If you're a great social media person, you know, you go from zero to 10x uh, overnight. 
overnight and if not you never rise even if you have a great technology solution but that is changing now that is what we are trying to say that is changing just the b2c business and just the numbers are not going to cut it anymore and fintechs are discovering b2b payments and the enterprise models so yes back to earth <laughs> yes in fact uh, for whatever reason you know this thing has become important aspect because the logic earlier was that you know startups are very different they're doing disruptive things so they're changing the way behavior of people so obviously you know they're investing a lot of money and that's going to come back go pay off manifold but somewhere people are realizing that you know if you're day to day working i mean the simple logic that you know if you are making a loss with every sale and every transaction you make then there is no way you know that multiplied by as many people is only going to mean more loss that number cannot come down so you know the road to profitability as people keep calling it you know that you know what is the road you know is it that there is a curve going downwards that now you are slowly slowly you know starting making so i think given changing economics given the changing thing and i think all perspectives you know everybody is obviously has 2020 vision on hindsight so you know now suddenly everybody thinks that profits are good but i think the the whole point is that that you know while you invest there has to be a timeline and horizon you know the the biggest startups in india i think i was just reading somewhere that out of the 100 or unicorns about only uh, 23 are profitable they are the usual ones you know the zohos the freshworks buildesk zeroda companies that you know you know they're doing businesses they trans you know like i think book my show book my show right from the very beginning had a convenience fee you know there was there was no question of you being paid to buy a movie ticket you know i mean which is kind of typically seems to be the model so i think road to profitability is actually if if that is not visible and if revenue minus cost is always going to be negative then i mean any business has to have a a growth mindset which is great but also has to be done for making money it cannot be i mean then it has to be for charity because then you know you, you you're basically just doing it for some common good and you don't care if you make money or no so whether it's economic circumstances the pandemic we don't know but i think investors bankers and everyone else are kind of looking at this with a much closer lens and they are at least forcing companies to think that you know how can i do this for want of a better word profitably i mean can i actually make money with every transaction i do or is it just kind of long dark uh, slippery you know slope so on an interesting note i think if the fundamentals of business were kept in place then the chances are that you will see more profitable unicorns and i think that's the keyword that we're coming to saying that have you got the fundamentals of business right if you've got the fundamentals of business right then the chances are you will succeed uh, currently i think a lot of it is going on other uh, measurement metrics and i think the metrics is coming back to the good old days i come from a gujarati banya background right and cash flows and monies and percentages is something that every gujarati businessman looks at and i think if that lens is applied to larger businesses the chances are we'll see more growth in business and profitable yeah. unicorns or profitable startups if i may use that word no no that is why i think the neighborhood uh, grocery store is the best right you know sells for buy something at x sells for x plus 20% takes home money at the end of the day and it is a profitable business the moment he starts saying that, oh i am 
my favorite example ashok vadapavala i will build a international franchise of vadapavs now he's finished he is super profitable and so is butcher so yeah different paradigms different things but yes i mean i think people i want us to wonder who are these people who do money or business for profit now ha 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 but <laughs> these are the people <laughs> so that brings us um, to the end of this trend of ours but i think the next trend that we're going to talk about is is an extremely interesting trend because it has repercussions um not just on the way we live our lives but it also has repercussions on the impact we will have on society on resources on even digital resources if i may use the word and that's the trend of immortality we'll come back in the next segment with the trend on immortality so welcome back to the third trend the trend of immortality and immortality driven by tech um savinan this time i took a leaf out of your pay i just decided to oust you on the paradox piece and i found a fantastic paradox and oh i have to say it's thanks to chat gpt because i went to chat gpt and asked for a paradox uh which would be <laughs> perfectly linked with immortality and the paradox is called the ship of theseus paradox and this paradox questions what happens when you replace every single part of an object over time does it remain the same object when you think of immortality and human beings we are going to replace every single part of ourselves over a period of time to achieve immortality in which case will we become immortal humans or will we become immortal androids that's the question we need to answer for ourselves or sheetal will we become someone else <laughs> we are no longer <laughs> Absolutely we don't know if you're going to be a whole new object if we've replaced every part of our lives and every part of our body so we may just become something that we never were to begin with and that's going to be an interesting thing the other uh, challenges that i see if immortality is digital immortality i don't have a problem i mean we'll only use up a lot of server space and we will create other problems over there right but we can live forever on server farms that's not the worry that i have but can you imagine if as on today if we are 8 billion people on the planet and we already stretched our resources thin if all of us live forever i mean right now people are saying the max that we can live is 120 years right but even 120 sounds like a ridiculously long time for me but if all of us were to live on earth forever what do you think are going to be the economic repercussions of it what do you think is going to happen with earth as a planet i know samiran you have a point of view that it will push us into discovering outer space even more but i just want to get your perspective on it <laughs> in terms of where in outer space do you think this is all going to happen and there's already so much data coming in from outer space to us which we can't deal with what's going to happen when we all start living in outer space that's going to be a fun trend to watch out for i think there's nothing like a little adversity to drive human innovation and you know when we did that episode with pramodos when we were talking about verifiable credentials i said you know nothing will drive adoption of verifiable credentials like a good scandal 
so i think there is nothing like i mean the moment it gets overcrowded i think people will kind of find this thing but i think more fundamental than of course that that is like a demand supply uh, space issue problem but you know if you kind of uh, go back and think about this so immortality is something which has been there i think from mythological time you know everybody you know the gods come down and bless you with immortality it doesn't bless you with happiness or whether oh you will never have to worry about food and shelter but you will live forever you know so i mean that's somewhere ingrained in us that you know i want to be here for all time to come even the whole cycle of life that oh if you go you will come back doesn't stop us it's oh if i go i don't want to go also so you know no question of coming back but i think what science has done is that you know obviously we have tried to kind of systematize this process now and there is a ton of research going on in this whole area of immortality in real uh, nuts and bolts terms you know your there are companies startups that are tinkering with cellular processes regenerative body parts new drugs there is you know anti aging supplements uh, one of the big ones you know and of course it is the vanity of the rich right i mean immortality you know the poor guy wants to let me just survive and you know get going the the rich guy wants to say i want to enjoy my wealth for life so that's jeff bezos for you and uh, so he's got this uh, he's funded this startup called altos labs and i think it's uh, the co-founders are the guy one of the guys is the nobel prize winning uh, you know scientist for crispr you know the gene editing so they have been tinkering with this whole cellular rejuvenation programming and stuff like that so is alphabet which is like google and saudi arabia is about said that in 2022 they're going to spend a billion dollars on anti-aging research and in fact i came across this guy called brian johnson he's apparently sold his startup to paypal and with all the money he got we sold it for 800 million he says that he claims that he's been able to reverse his biological age by 5 years over the last 7 months so it's just some crazy things going around i think we are again reaching the same point that we reach in every conversation scientific possibility versus the ethical correctness of doing something so you know i think scientific possibility is pushing it to reality now now should it be done should it be a lottery like you know you get to live you don't get to live or i think that like everything else will be the question we will have to grapple with soon because given enough time money brains resources we will probably figure out a way to you know live long because just good health is anyway taken us 15 20 years now you know people are anyway living till 75 so maybe we'll push it to 100 we'll push it to 300 and you know then like in altered carbon or in foundation you know you'll kind of transfer into a new body and then into another one and whatever we, i mean scientifically you'll probably figure it out i kind of just worry about whether ethically it's the right thing to do or no i think that that's more important i completely agree with you samiran on this the whole idea about technical possibilities and the ethical dilemmas associated with that the fact is that you know the resources are stretched all said and done and uh, immortality is just going to add to the already existing huge problem right and on one hand we are talking of immortality and probably on the other hand we have to figure out sustainable sources of energy you know renewable sources food and everything because if if we are planning to live for hundreds of years and the birth rate is not slowing down so you are going to 
you know multiply very soon and very fast and that is uh, what brings us this whole uh, idea of sustainability brings us to the fourth trend which is very close to the heart because it has a couple of elements one is a element of decentralization and as you all know we are big proponents of decentralization at unblocks and using archaic blockchain we have created a very sustainable decentralized network so the next trend is actually about virtual power plants and there is a element of decentralization to it so we'll talk about this trend and i think this is the trend uh, to really watch out for so i think if we are cursed with immortality i think uh, it stands to reason that you know we'll have to kind of make the place we live in habitable and sustainable because you know at 8 billion we are already struggling so if this becomes 16 billion you know we'll probably be elbowing each other out of you know small spaces so i think sustainability just for practical reasons for you know environmental reasons for good business sense all of that i think it's uh, it's becoming a very very important real it's being pushed by investment it is being pushed by social conscience and i think every aspect is being questioned for its sustainability factor you know is resources in sustainable is you know your manufacturing process sustainable is your supply chain sustainable and i think one of the things that we have been talking about a lot is the fact you know this whole crypto piece and the the fact that how much power it consumes you know is the fact that can you have a Uh, you know with the the classic one being that you know can we do carbon tracking using blockchain which is not from a sustainable so which itself is consuming a lot of power so as humans kind of need more and more resources i think power and you know those kind of resources become very important and therefore we need to kind of go back and again examine whether we can do anything with power and i think that's where kind of nilesh is going to kind of talk to us a little bit about what's the current thinking on this you know is it virtualization is it decentralization yeah. is it something else so let me kind of deep dive into this trend of uh, virtual power plants and you know i'll take the cue from uh, samiran what you mentioned about how do you explain doing you know uh, carbon credits on on top of uh, a blockchain you know recording carbon credits or esg benefits on top of a blockchain which consumes a lot of carbon which is not sustainable and right? how do you do that and with immortality uh, kind of uh, being a trend this is going to get worse it's not going to improve so the example that i find you know uh, very interesting is that uh, electric vehicles right when you look at electric vehicles suddenly when you are driving a electric vehicle you feel good about it because you are you are you know concerned about the 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 ecology and you know environment but the fact is that the sources of energy are still fossil fuel right so how are you solving the problem uh, at least in india i know uh, the source of primary source of uh, power is thermal and uh, burning coal essentially and and even if you are driving the electric vehicle the electricity that you are getting is coming those charges are being powered by thermal power so that doesn't make sense and that is where this whole trend of decentralization or virtual power plants renewable sources comes into being 
And one of the startups which I found very interesting was in UK, uh, and they have a lot of uh, charging infrastructure in UK. I think they're only in UK, but I really like their background. You know, the background was that their sources are all hundred percent renewable. So that was one one interesting thing. Now now we are talking about real change. The second thing that they do, which which was really really interesting was the fact that usually when you charge your EV, you'll take somewhere between 30 to 45 minutes, even on a fast charger, to go from 0 to 80%, let's say, right? So for those 30 to 40 minutes, you will end up uh, having a coffee or doing something. So while that is a norm, these guys have put up, uh, you know, bicycles, exercising bikes, and they, you know, offer those for free. You can go there and, uh, and exercise, get a good 30, 40 minutes exercise and generate electricity which actually is given as a rebate in your bill so which i i really found that interesting so this, this is this is a uh, change uh, honestly very interesting change and i think sheetal you mentioned about a real estate uh, you know a project coming up whereby you know whenever you are walking and all that is being used as energy to power you know some of the bulbs in the society and stuff like that so now here comes this virtual power plants trend how do you ensure that these disparate sources of energy actually feed into a single grid? So, so that is that is what is decentralization or virtual power plant mean. What we are saying is that the whole generation of electricity can be from various sources. Now, sources which are typically renewable, typical, you know, UK UK also has a bit of tidal energy. Now, it's it's not really, the tidal energy part doesn't happen on a consistent basis. Uh, it's tidal energy. Similarly, you have wind energy. So, how do you ensure that you always match supply and demand? So, you decentralize the sources. So, generation can be from multiple sources. Then, how do you bring back into a certain grid and then how do you transmit it for the end user to consume and the end user must be getting a mix of they must be getting energy from mix of uh, sources so that is this virtual power plant uh, trend i think it's a fantastic uh, you know it, it sounds very logical but it's difficult to do but it's a fantastic trend and i think this is what will uh, you know we were talking in our previous episode about how chat gpt made ai accessible right suddenly even small sources of renewable power will become you know meaningful Today they are not, right? Me cycling and generating some electricity is probably going to power a bulb for 10 seconds, but it will also be meaningful because you have decentralization of sources of energy. So in fact, this is like, you know, think of it like an ONDC for power, right? I mean, where you have small guys, I mean, it's literally, I mean, you're doing some activity by yourself, but you have no access to the larger grid or the larger market for that matter. So like you said, Anish, and it's it's not an idea which is like path breaking and unique, but I think it's again a question of that the technology to make it happen is probably coming now while the idea exists. Is that you know how do you take all the sources of energy, aggregate it, and then distribute it to the people who want it? So it's like it's like a network of networks, literally. That you know everybody will have their own thing, but unless it's like it's just like regular electricity like unless the grid is connected you can't transfer grid from the west of india to the east of india or from the west to the south but what this does is that anything that you do which is extra you can pull i remember this project that 
IBM used to kind of back and still does. I think it used to be called this World Community Grid. Is that you know they used to install this app on your machine, and whenever your machine was idling, it, they used to push down some kind of a computation project, you know, and the spare capacity of your hard disk used to work on it. So it was like literally trying to build a virtual supercomputer. So so I think this whole grid concepts have existed, but I think. Uh, just like power, like it's difficult to store power, right? I mean, so, you know, how do you generate and distribute in real time? But absolutely, I mean, I think the idea and the technology probably need to come to that perfect reunion to make this happen. I think it's a combination of idea, technology and the economics, right? Because again, it cannot become a power play. I mean, I'm punning on the word power, but it cannot become a power play. It cannot be one company. It cannot be one whatever. So just the way metaverse can't be done with one company, it's almost like this cannot be done and should not ideally be done under the you know head of one company because then you're going to sit with a monopolistic situation and then you're going to have problems lying there. So it's how do you get different players to agree to the terms and conditions to come and play together. I think that's going to be a big challenge, the execution of it rather than the tech behind it. And how do you get a more democratized thought process behind power supply rather than a monopolistic thought process behind you know power supply? So that I think is going to be the big challenge in this case. Having said that, I think we've covered the four trends we were talking about. And um, this brings us to the end of our trends episode. I know last year when we did the trends episode, we did it very, very differently from this year's trends episode. We actually talked about trends that we were going to put our monies behind, if I may use that word. And we talked about trends and some of those trends did come uh, true for us, right? I think most of the trends came true that we predicted last year. But I think this time we've taken a slightly different way in approaching the trends episode. It's really about what may happen or what may not happen at all and our perspective on those trends. So if you liked our banter on this entire piece of trends, please share the episode and don't forget to follow the show. We are available on all major podcast platforms. If you're on Apple Podcasts, then please do leave us a rating and a review. It helps our podcast grow. And we hope that you keep listening to us and enjoy our banter. Until the next time.